if the construction industry had grown its productivity per worker at the same rate as like education over the past decade, something of like $2 trillion worth of construction would have been put in place over that, over that same period of, of time globally. Wow. So you're talking about like the impact the industry can make globally is significant. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Tom Stem, CEO of Rivet. Tom is a technology enthusiast with over 20 years of broad and diverse experience building companies from the ground up. As CEO and founder of Rivet, he brings his more than 20 years of experience in software development to help foster innovation for the construction industry. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it, man. So let's start with how you got into the construction industry. How did I get, well, I guess if you really want to rewind the clock, uh, my, my dad was a foreman uh, concrete worker a long, long time ago. So I was on more, more job sites than I probably care to remember. Uh, so yeah. Uh, the dream as a kid was that we were going to kind of have a, a STEM and Sons construction company someday. So from the time I was, oh, nice. busy, I always had this, this idea that I would somehow be connected to construction. That's not really where my professional life took me though. I came out of college as a software developer, uh, kind of led me down the track of, of, of down the track of becoming uh, a technology enthusiast, uh, have, have a deep understanding of technology, but then, in my entrepreneurial journey have, have been able to apply that technology to how to build and operate a business and uh, organically got connected to the, in, the construction industry just really through my entrepreneurial journey. Um, long story short, built a uh, consulting company for small businesses to, to bring technology into that environment, uh, developed an organic cohort of customers in the construction industry, which is really where I developed the idea the rivet and uh, it was in working with construction companies trying to help them really find and adopt new technology and some of the barriers that, that prevented them from adopting technology at a, at a fast rate and applying that technology to the business that led to the mm. ideas that we have behind rivet so so <clears throat> have brought kind of the technology passion and and that that um you know those early days of imagining myself in the construction industry full circle in terms of you know, what we're focused on these days. So it's been an interesting, interesting way of getting here, but uh, yeah. Yeah. That's great that you had the, the family connection there too. Okay. So you were talking a little bit just then of kind of how Rivet came about, but love for you to kind of expand upon that and tell us the, the story there. Yeah. So, you know, the, the consulting practice would, would help our customers, you know, find new technology, right? So we needed to, to automate some area of the business or improve the way that we were collecting data from the field. Uh, kind of specifically, we were working with one of our customers, large general contractor, about two, $300 million general contractor. Uh, and they had what they referred to as a yard function. So a lot of contractors are kind of familiar with that, right? They've got all of the equipment that they, that they own and, and rent to the job sites. Uh, all the materials that they supply and, and push out to the job sites. And uh, they were doing all of that on paper uh, in terms of how they would track tickets and, and things like that in terms of where 
where does the crane need to go next and, and how long was it there and how much are we billing the client for it? And so we went through a, a identification selection process, helped them figure out which application they would bring into the environment. And, and as we got that application up and running, you know, they were able to now request equipment, request materials, things like that from the field because there was a mobile app component. Well, then there was a tracking mechanism. So now we can figure out that we need to process billing activity for that particular job site. And so you could create the invoices and in the software and then, you know, send them to the customer, but then they would print them to a printer in the accounting department. And a couple times a day, someone would walk over to the printer, grab the stack of invoices, go back to their desk, sit down and swivel the chair and type those invoices into the accounting system. And um, just by way of my nature, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we cannot do that on my watch. Um, yeah. All of the gains we're getting from implementing the software are being lost in overhead and, and the finance team function. And uh, so we, we sought a way to automate that. In doing so, the you know the vendor didn't really have great API capabilities, so we ended up kind of consulting them on how to put an API in place that we could use to access the data that we needed. Uh, and then mm -hmm. the ERP solution, as a lot of ERP solutions in, in this industry uh, are, was on-prem, no cloud-based access, no API access, and so we had to overcome like, all right, how do we how do we get data in and out of this ERP solution now in an automated way? And uh, so that was really the first problem that we had to had to solve, and we were doing it in a consulting capacity. Uh, but once we did it for that customer, then we had another customer who had the same ERP system, and so we were able to leverage some of that connectivity and kind of did a project for them, and then it happened again. And so next thing you know, we had a handful of these similar projects coming uh, onto our plate, and mm -hmm. and just started to identify a bigger opportunity because of the lack of cloud access that, and the open access and sort of the open ecosystem that is needed you see trends in other industries around data and and the trend in the construction industry was far behind on how to expose access to data mm -hmm. and how to use data uh, really to run the business in a more effective way and so just kind of had this compelling vision come to me as I got closer to the industry, closer to the operating model, how do construction companies make money? And then what is that tech stack that they rely on and, and how are trends in other industries being applied in the construction industry for them to take advantage of their tech really to leverage their data and how they operate the business. And, um, you know, the, the saying that, that data is the new currency of business, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of from that perspective that we wanted to pursue a construction specific approach to how you can manage your data, you know, integrate your tech stack uh, and just create a, a more automated operating environment and really eliminate low value activity. Like it is not valuable for someone on your team to be sitting there and swiveling the chair and entering data into multiple spots. Right. Sure. Not only does the integrity of that data suffer, but you're wasting valuable time that can be spent on high you know, more more value added activity in terms of the, the type of output that person can perform day in and day out for the company. So yeah. kind of some of those insights that led to the founding of Rivet and, um, you know, four years later, we've got almost 500 construction companies using the platform and um, have, you know, are partnered with a handful of the top construction tech firms that, that are out there in the space. A lot of names people are familiar with, Procore, Informa, et cetera. 
The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Nice. Uh, so you mentioned the, the trend of uh, construction industry kind of lagging behind other industries and exposing data. Yeah. A, why do you think that that's been the trend? And B, what's some ways to kind of reverse that and, and get construction up leading the pack a bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is an industry that has historically been um, labor intensive industry um, as you know, construction dates back, you know, across human history for hunting purposes. Right. And, and at the end of the day, it's a, it's a labor driven industry. Um, uh, you know, oh, roughly half the cost of, of construction is still tied to labor. So I think it's an industry that is used to kind of putting manpower behind the outcomes that it seeks. Mm-hmm. Um, for better or for worse, and and when you look at other industries like like a manufacturing industry, for instance, um, you know it, you know the sort of advent of like assembly lines, things like that, kind of the industrial revolution of the 1900s, kind of put those types of industries on a path in which ultimately they needed to establish automation and and the way that they produce and they needed to get more productivity out of the workforce. And I think we're starting to see trends in construction for those types of things that happen, modularity and, you know, materials, innovation and, and things like that in terms of how construction is now being becoming more modular, more assembly based. Um, mm-hmm. And so you're seeing those types of trends come to the industry from a tech stack perspective. Um, you know, I think Gartner is the one that kind of rates industry, it rates the construction industry. I think it's ahead of only like agriculture or something like that, or, or yeah. government. Actually, I think it's government. So agriculture, I think, is even rated ahead of construction. I think it's only ahead of government in terms of its use of technology to to create productivity for worker from an economic perspective. And, um, you know, so I think the trends of other industries always kind of hit the laggard at some point. And, so this industry is prime for taking advantage of those trends and allowing that innovation to, to come into the industry with more force. I think there was a statistic that I saw that um, the construction industry over the past like five years or something, productivity per worker has actually gone down. Uh, despite really? the fact that you're seeing technology, the introduction of technology uh, into this industry actually come come on come online at a much faster rate, right? There's a lot more options entering the market uh, almost on a daily basis. A lot of startup activity, uh, yeah. so I think there's a lot of opportunity to leverage that activity and, and help construction companies take advantage of it um, instead of kind of slow get slowed down by it. Yeah. Do, do you think that the construction industries and people in it are kind of overcomplicating the process? Uh, I think to, well, I guess it depends on what you mean by the process. I think in terms of evaluating tech and, and sort of investing in tech and, and the attitude towards tech. Yes. Uh, 
uh, my experience suggests that a lot of folks in the industry view tech as a cost, uh, not an investment. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't they don't think about it as like I'm going to make this investment, and here's the return that I expect, and then measure off of that return. Now, in a lot of other areas of the business world, that's how you're going to evaluate an investment. I, I expect to make this investment, and I expect a return on that investment, uh, and over time, that return pays dividends. Uh, uh, you know, the construction industry is one of the few industries that doesn't have like really, really large corporations with like 250,000 employees, for instance. And mm -hmm. scalability is difficult to achieve without that type, without that type of automation. So, um, you know, I think McKinsey also said that you know, uh, the average large project is generally speaking 80% over budget and takes 20% longer than um, than it was expected to. Uh, so, you know, there's there's things that are um, occurring kind of when you talk about like interoperability, for instance, or standardization. So um, I worked with Nathan Wood uh, and, and he's the executive director of the Construction Progress uh, Movement, Construction Progress Coalition. Yeah, uh, yeah he's been on several times. Yeah, I'm chairman of the board of that initiative. And one of the things we talk a lot about is not necessarily um, getting standards in place from the perspective of, well, this is the data field that it should be called this, you know, and not that. And like mm -hmm. people get kind of too focused on what I refer to as the schema. It's not the schema that matters, right? It's more about the, the sort of business process and the industry best practice around how this workflow uh, should be performed in the industry. If you talk about an RFI workflow, for instance, how should that RFI workflow, kind of what's the best practice around that workflow? Because if we can start to get industry uh, acknowledgement, acceptance, and sort of adoption of some of those best practices around how an RFI workflow can be performed, well, then you can start to build automation around that. And you can start to eliminate waste in that workflow because you don't have all these variations of it and you start to establish acceptance for how that can be performed and the more we do that the more acceptance we get for establishing consistency and and some of those workflows some of those business processes you know the more impact we're going to be able to make uh in the in the west we're going to see some of those statistics come out that are kind of scary sometimes 80 percent over budget 20 percent over schedule on the average large project uh, mm -hmm. the, the things can be Prevented. We've got the data, we've got the empirical experience, but now we need tech to help, you know, bring, make that um, more accessible, uh, I think, to some sure. of these companies in a way that it can actually help realize the benefit that you would seek from it. So. Yeah. So you brought up interoperability there. How would you define that? Um, you know, from my perspective, uh, I, I think I think about it like this, you know, we all have sort of that integration challenge, even Rivet, a software company, you know, I've got data and this application and that application. And at the end of the day, for me, it's, it's a communication concept, right? Um, you might have multiple people in the same room that, that speak different languages, but can they, can they walk away with the same understanding? Can they still communicate with one another? So you might need a translator, um, but, Will the data be where it needs to be when it needs to be there? So do people have the information that they need to make mm -hmm. a decision or to run the business in the moment that they need it? To me, that's interoperability. Can I communicate 
can applications communicate with one another uh, so that data ends up where it's supposed to be when it needs to be there? Really doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Um, but for me, I, I like the language analogy because that's something people can sort of relate to in an everyday setting uh, and they don't have to get lost in the technical weeds or the technical details of how data moves and how applications you know, communicate. Um, so I kind of like the language analogy. At the end of the day, if someone's speaking French and Spanish, you don't have to necessarily translate into English for them to understand each other. You know, you just need someone that can speak French and Spanish to, to, to translate for, for the other one, right? So yeah, uh, it's really just a translation mechanism. Like how do you get someone speaking French to uh, understand someone speaking Spanish? That's all it is. Yeah. So how does data flow between solutions really a, a barrier for people? I, I think it slows down adoption. Uh, you know, if, um, you know, at the end of the day, businesses are going to be operated off of kind of those key um, sort of performance indicators that ultimately determine the success of the business. So if it's your WIP reporting or if it's, you know, whatever that sort of key reporting infrastructure is that you have internally for your leadership teams to run the business, wherever the data comes from to source that reporting mechanism, mm -hmm. uh, from my perspective, that tends to be a barrier for technology adoption because it's about getting the data. If you're going to adopt technology for your field and they're going to now have a mobile app at their fingertips to collect data, well, if that data doesn't get back into wherever that data needs to be centralized for that reporting mechanism for the reports that hit, you know, the CEO's desk, you're not, that's not going to ever be deemed successful because you can collect all the data in the field that you want, but if it doesn't ultimately hit payroll or hit the CEO's desk appropriately, then, you know, it's not going to be used because those are the things that drive the business. And so for me, um, you know, I think kind of thinking about it as a, uh, as just like an open ecosystem, like inside of our company, how do we kind of collect the data and move the data where it needs to be? Uh, I think those are kind of the important topics and um, evaluate the way that you evaluate tech just needs to evolve a little bit. Um, if you're looking at a solution, does it have an open API or does it not? You know, like, very simple like check boxes can be checked now in the way that you evaluate tech in order to kind of put some pressure on tech to evolve, open the doors, allow for access to data uh, and, and kind of make the way that you can access that data and move that data uh, simpler. Because if that's mm -hmm. available to you, then your options open on how you can ultimately get that data in the spot it needs to be when it needs to be there. Yeah. So how do you get systems to really effectively interact with each other with all these different APIs? Well, Rivet, um, sort of our technology is built, uh, purpose built, uh, really for two things. One, the construction industry. So we understand the data profile of a construction company. We understand the workflows of a construction company. We understand nuances around job cost accounting and, the, the data that has to be there for, for that type of accounting treatment to be performed correctly. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're purpose-built with respect to the type of data that we're working with. And then we're purpose-built to be agnostic to the system that we connect to. So 
whether we're connecting to Procore or you know a plan grid or an eSub or an innate, any one of those systems have different ways that you're going to connect to them. And, and the way that their data looks specifically is going to be different, but at the end of the day, at a high level, the data is really very similar in RFIs and RFIs and RFI. Now, the way that Procore models an RFI versus the way that plan grid might model an RFI at, at the most specific level, they're different, uh, but conceptually speaking, it's an RFI, right? And so there's still similar concepts. And so, um, so we have built our tech in a way that, you know, we can communicate with a French speaking person, person and a Spanish speaking person and a Chinese speaking or Mandarin speaking person and an English speaking person. And, and so we kind of built the tech in a way that it can extrapolate away the complexity of how do you connect to system A and system B and system C connectivity is not really the issue anymore. As long as they provide access to the data, uh, at least our platform allows you to now connect to that data and determine how you want to use it. Does it need to integrate with another system? Does it need to integrate with the reporting tool? Like, what do you need to do with that data to create value from that data? Turn that data into information, uh, put it in someone's inbox, put it on someone's desk, et cetera because that's where you can now kind of get the value in that whole idea that data is the currency of business. You gotta, once, once you kind of eliminate that connectivity issue, AKA, how do I kind of speak these different languages? And then you can now just make decisions on what you wanna do with the data. How do I use it effectively? How do I manage my data environment effectively? Where does my data need to move? What type of reporting infrastructure, what type of insights into the way I run my business? do I need to more effectively run my business? Those are, yep. those are the types of questions you can now start asking and then start answering. Interesting. So ideally, how do you think people throughout the AEC should or should supposed to collaborate throughout the, the project using their data? Uh, I think there's a, a pretty large opportunity uh, to really, you know, I think a lot of the, um, success uh, in the startup realm of construction tech of late, uh, you'll, you know, there's, again, the, the Procores, the ESUB, the plan grids, the building connectives, like some of these solutions that have come to market over the past few years and have done really well, uh, they all kind of, kind of brand themselves as a collaborate collaboration platform and, and they're enabling collaboration among stakeholders, things like that. Now, mm. uh, interesting part of that is that they all kind of require you at some level to use their their platform and so now there becomes this equation of needing to connect ecosystems you know Trimble's got a large ecosystem Oracle's got a large ecosystem Autodesk has a large ecosystem Procore's got a large ecosystem and so now you've got to create almost these um, sort of lanes of traffic to communicate between ecosystems if you will so that you can kind of mm -hmm get data between ecosystems, so stakeholders using Autodesk ecosystem can communicate with Procore's ecosystem. Um, so that's kind of the role that Rivet intends to play is like how do we allow uh, different stakeholders in the industry that are in these different, operating inside of these different ecosystems to still collaborate with one another. Uh, because I think, again, as you kind of think about it from a standards perspective and not, how do I model an RFI, but how do I 
what's the right workflow around an RFI? How many days should it sit in the architect's, you know, inbox before they should respond? Um, and sort of what are the best practices around that, the timing of that? Mm -hmm. um, if we can get some industry um, acceptance around best practices, uh, if, if tech continues to enable access to, to data more readily, readily, you know, if, if some, a lot of the startup ecosystem in construction tech continues to be API-led on how it comes to market, uh, then we've got a great opportunity to help stakeholders in the value chain because it's very fragmented today from the owner, um, you know, down to, you know, all, you know, the end user building contractor, the demo, the design and engineering, kind of all these different aspects of the value chain. Uh, they're all kind of segmented. And so now we got to break down those walls and then enable them to communicate. And I think a lot of that can happen by sharing an automating data exchange. Uh, we, for instance, have launched uh, in partnership with Newforma uh, and Procore. We kind of power that integration between Newforma and Procore that allows the design team and that operates in Newforma to automatically exchange RFI and submittal data with the GC working in Procore. Uh, and so when, Pro, when, when that Procore user, you know, hits the save button, data will automatically flow into the architect's instance of their new Forma system. And then as they hit the save button over there, it moves data back. And, and what had to happen before we put that integration in place was maybe the architect had to hit save in their system, swivel the chair, as I like to joke, uh, log into Procore, and then enter the data again. Uh, right. Or maybe the GC had to you know, hit save and then swivel the chair, log into new Forma, and enter that data again. So. Just a lot of wasted movement, uh, I think, uh, in the industry, and um, we can help automate a lot of that uh, activity and, and from a collaboration perspective. So data is always available at the fingertips of who needs it, and, and this can be done from a project perspective. So all those stakeholders working in the project, owner, architect, GC, trade contractors, et cetera, they're all creating data. They all need to share that data with one another. So how do we create Leveraging the access that we now have to that data, how can we now um, create a more open environment for how that data can be shared and exchanged and automated between those parties? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, when I think collaboration in AEC, it seems like one of the, the stumbling blocks is that we all too often kind of get into this game of uh, avoiding legal risk. Yeah. And therefore, you know, we try to transfer the risk and responsibility to others so who ideally should own the legal risk? Oh, good question. Um, who should own the legal risk? Uh, I think, so one of the trends I think you've seen, that we've seen, um, it's probably sort of one of those unintended consequences of uh, sort of tech adoption going well for the mm -hmm. industry. But I think you'll see like, like GCs that use, uh, you know, a, a Procore or Ben360 or a system like that. Now, because they can, they kind of transfer the risk by when they used to probably look at an RFI, let's say, again, I'll just use RFI, I've been kind of talking about the RFI process. So they might have typically looked at an RFI and said, well, no, this RFI applies to you, you and you. And so I'm only going to send them to you, you and you. Now, um, they might just send them to every 
sub, sub on the job and make them assess whether or not it applies to them and make them all respond. And so now sort of the, the, the trade contractors are being inundated with more requests that they have to process mm -hmm. and figure out. Uh, and so you're definitely seeing that that risk get transferred uh, across the board because now everybody has a digital trail um, and they can kind of enforce like collection of that data in their own system. Like, nope, you got to come into mm -hmm. my instance of Procore and you got to tell me whether this applies to you or not. Um, I mean, I think generally speaking from my perspective, and I don't know how popular this will or won't be, but, you know, typically the GC is, is, is sort of, uh, uh, contracted to, to kind of own the, the, the construction process on behalf of the owner, right? And so mm -hmm. I think that um, um, a lot of the partners that we work with uh, are in a position to take on a little bit more of that risk uh, on behalf of the owner. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there are different ways to think about mitigating that risk <clears throat> versus kind of sending an RFI to every sub and making them respond to it in a formal way. There's a lot more informal process that can take place. Uh, I also think there's a lot of data that, that can be leveraged uh, from those subcontractors on the job in order to kind of assess their, their credit, if you will, and kind of assess the risk associated with some of the ways that that risk is um, pushed downstream. So. I don't know if I'm answering your question very well, but uh, without taking a hard stance and saying, oh, the GC should, um, the risk always lies with the owner, right? So uh, yeah. at the end of the day, whatever gets turned over to them, they have to take forward. <laughs> so um, in my opinion is that generally speaking, kind of the, you know, each each party that's responsible for, for part of the work should bear the risk of their, of their scope. Um, but you see it across the board. Everybody's transferring risk in any way that they can. And it's, it's being done in unique ways today. I think that it wasn't being done 10 years ago because the technology, you know, enables it in a way that is maybe an unintended consequence of technology adoption. Hey, everyone. Wanted to let you know of an upcoming event that you don't want to miss. I'm talking about the MEP Mastermind Series sponsored by Applied Software. Want a forum to get with other industry professionals to further help improve the MEP industry? This is the place for you. Join me on October 29th as I host Jake Olson, CEO and co-founder of Dato. You will remember Jake from episode 33 when we talked about the importance of a healthy culture to bridge the gap between the office and the field. Well, during MEP Masterminds, Jake will lead the conversation on the digital divide and when technology widens the gap between teams. Come learn and discuss best practices from across the MEP industry to help this. Looking forward to seeing you on October 29th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Go to asti.com slash MEP masterminds for more details and to register today. See you then. So do you think that as uh, technology has gotten more prevalent that the transfer and game has intensified? Yeah. I, I would say so. I, what are you, I mean, what are you hearing? What are your, what have you been hearing just in terms of some of the other folks you've been talking to and uh, sort of engagement with your audience? Like that seems yeah. to be a trend that I've, I've recognized. Uh, but yeah. 
probably my opinion. No, I think that that's a a, a common thought for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think the the interesting everybody talks about how the the need to you know put down the weapons and and yeah. stop transferring it and pushing it off to everybody else, but nobody wants to be the first person to yeah, actually so, I mean, I lower would, their gun. <laughs> I guess it's like a business owner, like it's a it's just sort of a business owner kind con- or like kind of a leadership concept right like mm-hmm. i've always said that you know where you want accountability transparency has to be there mm-hmm. and so if you want kind of to create accountability maybe in a team environment uh, it's all about creating transparency because the minute you kind of put that dashboard up on the tv and everyone knows that you know their data is going to be up on that board for the rest of the team to see well, all of a sudden you create this organic environment and kind of influence the behavior of people around you to be accountable for their own, their own activity, their own work, their own actions. And so I think the data is available. Uh, If we can establish uh, an environment with stakeholders on a project to create that type of transparency across Mm -hmm. those stakeholders, because then you don't have to, focus so much on transferring the risk and you can establish accountability where accountability should lie. So there's opportunities there. Uh, we just need to foster the right type of engagement to leverage technology where I think technology can play a key role to kind of break down those barriers, create more transparency, create a more open environment um, and in terms of exposing performance and uh, things like that so that you kind of get out of this like CYA environment, you know, yeah. covering yourself and yeah, that. for sure. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, use case for technology to provide that transparency. And we have all the data there. We just have to to use it and then put it in the right light and context. Exactly. Exactly. So, what do you think the biggest challenge that uh, is facing the construction industry right now? Um. I mean, I think I'm hearing a lot of like fatigue in the industry right now, just around technology proliferation. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a lot of entry into the market. Uh, I'm probably going to misquote the statistic, but I think there was something like 2,500 plus uh, technology solutions that have entered the construction industry um, that and something like less only less than 50 of them address more than one use case. Uh, so you're talking about, you know, basically 2,500 options out there for people to kind of go take a look at for all these different use cases. But yeah. a lot of them are still only really addressing like one one specific thing I can do with it. Uh, and when you look at how a company operates, I mean, there's dozens of things that it has to do. So you're talking about potentially now having dozens of solutions that and so you have sort of this proliferation of, of tech, proliferation of data. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of fatigue around that. I mean, it's clear that the industry has a, a productivity challenge, not enough manpower to go around, you know, a lot of effort put into recruiting talent into the workforce, including younger workers into the workforce, um, things like that. Um, I think again, I, I'm probably throwing a lot of stats around here, but, uh, it was something to the tune of like, if the construction industry had grown 
its productivity per worker at the same rate as like education, I think, over the past decade, something of like $2 trillion worth of um, construction would have been put in place over that over that same period of, of time globally. Wow. So you're talking about like the impact the industry can make globally uh, is significant, uh, but it kind of starts with, you know, an acceptance of, you know, how do we become more productive? How do we apply the tech in a, in a way that, that can realize what that opportunity that's available to us? But I think one, one of the kind of the big challenges I'm hearing just around technology is fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> We're fatigued by the number of options that are growing by the day. Uh, they're kind of fatigued by that trial and, and you know, give it a shot uh, concept and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And uh, so, so helping them kind of overcome some of that fatigue, making it easier for them to evaluate and adopt technology and, and kind of bring that tech in and, and make it, you know, operate with tech they already have in place, that interoperability concept. Like how do we make it easier uh, basically to identify and, 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 and then adopt that tech. Um, mm. You know, that's really what Rivet's focused on, but, I think there's a lot of different ways, um, you know, folks could approach that in order to help reduce some of the fatigue that people might be feeling around the proliferation of tech in, in the construction. Yeah. Industry. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because there's, it, it's almost like a compounding problem because it's, it's overwhelming with all the different options on top of the construction industry having to really change their mindset around technology and embracing technology. There's yeah. people out there that are, are wanting to embrace the tech, but they don't, they're so overwhelmed by all the options yeah. that it's just easier to do what you've always done. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, status quo, I think is an issue. Like, uh, this is how we run the business for 50 years and it's worked. Why would I change now? And mm -hmm. so I think that's a question folks will have to answer for themselves. Like why now? Um, you know, and, and, and if it's not now, then when will it be, right? Right. Um, so I think kind of helping the industry overcome some of that fatigue, <laughs> helping them kind of change that mindset around status quo, um, think about how to how to automate their way out of work instead of just throwing manpower at the work. Uh, so that once you automate it, you know, you never have to do it again. You can focus your workforce on more productive work, right? So. Uh, I think it's just about kind of asking slightly different questions that will, will lead industry leaders to different answers than they might have come up with, you know, just a year ago or certainly 10 years ago. Yeah, definitely. Well, how do people get a hold of you and, and find out more about Rivet? Uh, well, always, you know, website's the easy one, right? So rivet.com uh, is always an easy way to find us. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I'm actively engaged with the construction progress movement. Uh, you can always reach out to me. I'm probably more accessible than I sometimes prefer to be, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, but yeah, I, I would, I would suggest, you know, go to our website, kind of, you know, we got, you, you can chat with us live, you can call us, you can email us, you can, um, auto schedule appointments with us. Um, you know, we we have done a lot with uh, with folks out there that are trying to figure out how to use tech and, and just kind of 
if nothing else, can give you some free advice on our experience and, and if it's a fit and if we can help you. Um, we're always willing to have those conversations. So definitely should reach out and, and see what we can do to help simplify your 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 tech stack and simplify your environment and help you operate more effectively. Awesome. Uh, last question that I asked my guests, uh, what does innovation mean to you? <laughs> innovation, um, so innovation from my perspective is just a willingness to change. So I kind of, like my personality just as sort of a human being is, is organized, it's sort of anti-status quo. Like I never like to kind of sit stagnant. And, and so we kind of talk about, you can talk about growth mindset, you can talk about fixed mindset, but at the end of the day, if like, if you're, if you're in Rivet, actually, um, you might be able to see it kind of on my background there. One of our value statements is grow or die. And which people always kind of joke, they're like, man, that kind of sounds morbid. But like the idea <laughs> behind it is that if you're if you're not growing and you're stagnating, you're just kind of sitting there complacent, uh, you're kind of wasting your potential. And so uh, from my perspective, innovation is tied to that concept. Like if you're constantly learning, constantly trying to improve who you are or what you're doing or how you operate, uh, innovation is really just a willingness to get away from status quo. A willingness to change, a willingness to uh, adapt to, to change around you, and kind of an open mindset around trying new things and experimenting. So if you have uh, kind of an attitude towards experimentation, uh, next thing you know, you'll find an innovation that really dramatically increases your performance or dramatically improves sort of your success, things like that. So mm -hmm. innovation for me has always been uh, not a milestone per se, uh, but more so just a willingness to adapt, a willingness to change, um, and, and to look for it, not, not kind of be afraid of it, not, not react to it, uh, but to look for the change, kind of become the change, uh, you want to be the change in the world you want to see around you, whatever the quote yeah. is, uh, but, <laughs> uh, that, that concept for me, that's really what innovation is, is, um, how do you how do you kind of solve problems and, and do things differently and, and think differently? Um, but it, it kind of starts with getting into a mindset in which you're willing to grow, willing to learn, willing to walk away from status quo and, and kind of be the change you want to see around you. So. Yeah, that's great. Uh, growth mindset is is huge, and, and being able the willingness to try new things is sometimes scary but important. Yeah, I mean, they're even you know it's a concept. I got, you know, two boys, fourth grade, second grade, and it's something they're even teaching in school, you know, like if I, if you, if I fail, like how do I, what do I learn so I can go try it again or change the experiment and, and do it differently next time, right? So it's yeah. not about, like, I fail or succeed, it's not black or white in that regard of like, there's a, there's a either or outcome, it's more like how, how many times do I have to fail to find the success I'm looking for? Uh, yeah. And so it's just a shift in perspective, um, but that shift can, is ultimately what leads you to innovation because if you are, allow yourself to continue to fail until you find that success you're looking for, um, I mean, I think it's, you know, like people say, like some of the cultural icons we've always associated with innovation, you know, the, the development of the light bulb wasn't like an overnight success. It took years of right. failure before the light bulb became a thing, right? And, um, yeah. 
we can look back on any of those examples for the inspiration, but ultimately it's more about grit. <laughs> it's more about grinding it out, doing the hard work, being willing to fail, uh, and challenging yourself to kind of step away from the status quo and finding ways to improve, do things better, do things differently, uh, and just kind of, you know, look for the potential inside yourself and the people around you and, and try to pull it out and, and always mm -hmm. kind of push and challenge to, to be, to make sure the version of yourself that, that is that is represented by tomorrow is better than that version of yourself that sits here today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a believer in that we have to kind of flip the script on what it means to fail and failing is not what we typically associate with, of, you know, not hitting exactly what we wanted. It's failing going back to your grow or die. Failing is not trying. It, right. That's when you really fail. If, right. if you try something and it doesn't work out the way you want it to, well, that's a learning opportunity right. that you can grow from. So I think that grower dies is spot on. Really just when you give up, right? If you don't give up, you didn't fail. You're just, you're, you're, you're finding your way to, to the outcome. You see. So, yeah. yeah. The, the adventure is not over yet. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate I, it. I appreciate you having me and uh, enjoyed the, enjoyed the chat. Yeah. Likewise. Hey everyone, time for our three quick Todd takes from this conversation. This is our new segment highlighting things that stood out to me. Construction is primed to take advantage of the innovation and technology that has been injected into the industry, but we can't overcomplicate technology evaluation. Ask yourself, do you view technology as a cost or an investment and why? The answer to that first point may be found in this second question. Are you able to have the data you generate where and when you need it? Interoperability is crucial for the industry moving forward. We should not let our valuable data be going to waste. We need to have accountability, which leads to transparency, which turns collaboration from just a nice to have buzzword into a reality. And finally, Tom gave one of my favorite answers so far on my what is innovation question. Simply put, innovation is a willingness to try and change. Honestly ask yourself, are you wasting your potential by not growing? We must have an attitude towards experimentation. The simple fact is failing is not what you think it is. Failing in the traditional sense is an opportunity to learn. In reality, you only really fail when you do not try something new. So go out and try. Thank you for listening. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Enjoyed the episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. Bridging the Gap is directed by Todd Wyan, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.